Well, of course, we're mops, not buckets, but putting that aside. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to episode 113 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but I've picked up a thing or two over my 25-year career from techie to CMO, and each week I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that will inspire the rock star CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday the 6th of May. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. A different set list this week as Jeff and I are joined by a friend of the show, podcast host and marketing operations expert, Simon Daniels. But there is no change to my Friday evening as I wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tap. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, you know Jeff Clark. He's a sought-after marketing strategy advisor and former Serious Decisions Forrester Research Director. And this week... We're joined by Simon Daniels, friend of the show and former guest and marketing operations leader and co-host of the podcast, What's Mops Got to Do With It? To discuss our fifth effing marketing fundamental, marketing operations. Welcome back, Jeff, to uh, Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing great, and it's uh, great to see a former colleague of mine. And yes, on the, on the show. We have the three-way that we promised last week, and we welcome Simon Daniels onto the program. Hello, Simon. How are you? Hello there. I'm very well. Thanks for having me back, Ian. It's great to be back on the podcast. Yeah, listen to me talking about it as a program, as if I'm doing radio. It's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to the podcast. Um, so, Simon, tell us, for people who don't remember you from being on the show before, mm. tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I describe myself as a veteran marketing operations leader, if that's not uh, too self-aggrandizing. So I've been <laughs> working in what is now called marketing operations since before it was invented or before it was mm-hmm. called that. And uh, I've had uh, client-side and consulting roles across uh, a variety of sectors and around the world and um, looking to do everything that involves marketing operations that we're going to come on to talk about. Love it. Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us on the show. And I know that, um, well, we've got a little three-way 
love fest between the three of us around marketing <laughs> operations. Okay, and we say, I okay Ian, Ian, don't, don't take that too far. Okay, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to avoid making that joke, but maybe maybe I should just go all in. <laughs> Luckily, we're all remote. And and Jeff, unfortunately, this week uh, should we we shouldn't discuss the weather. We, we normally do, no, but uh, we need uh, to get straight in with this. Yes, so, let's go. And Simon, you're talking to me from the UK as right. well. So you, when I look out the window, I can see the same as you. So we don't need to discuss it either. Um, so yeah. why don't we start with the basics? Um, how do you guys define marketing operations? Maybe Simon, as the new guest, should we start with you? What's your definition of marketing operations? Sure. Well, I like to define marketing operations based on the goal, which for me mm-hmm. is uh, driving and facilitating go-to-market strategy execution and measurement. And marketing operations does that by orchestrating data, technology, process, sometimes people is added to that mix. Mm -hmm. And that is what creates the underpinning of the marketing function, allows it to operate efficiently and achieve its goals and be able to track the fact that it is um, achieving what it's meant to be. That's splendid. I think you've answered about the next seven of my questions with that one <laughs> statement. That's pretty pretty tight. I like at that. least keep them up. <laughs> and Jeff, do you go along with that? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, uh, I think when I was at Serious Decisions, uh, you know, we, you know, our, I think our our tagline was you know providing the tools, processes, and data to execute the CMO strategy and meet goals. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. that's what Simon said in uh, maybe fewer words, but that's absolutely. To me, what's essential, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, uh, if you'd say maybe an objective group among the rest of the marketing leaders that can help execute on all these things that require, uh, require that objectivity, that ability to look across, you know, that whole organization. That was one of the things that, you know, again, back at uh, Forrester Serious Decisions, we kind of drew this, this sort of organization flow that showed that, you know, brand and marketing operations were kind of like the two functions that that's that had an effect and expand across all the other marketing groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it was it was always in the service of the CMO and how they helped the other marketing leaders uh, do their job. Right, right. And the um, and and what I like there, Simon, is well, both of you really, you align marketing operations with the goal of the C-suite, really, which is something that we talk about, about a lot on this on this show for right. sure. So we'll touch on that a bit in a second. But let's say I have the absolute luxury of building a brand new marketing team, and I'm I've decided that that I have a marketing ops function within my marketing team. What capabilities am I putting into that bucket in my org chart? Well, of course, we're mops, not buckets, but putting that aside. (laughs) Every bucket has to have a mop. Right, exactly. (laughs) So um, apart from uh, bad jokes, um, I I actually wrote a little blog post on this a a little while ago in in terms of I I called it my marketing operations dream team. So, you know, the, the capabilities, uh, as I just said, um, span uh, data technology process. What that yeah. means breaking it down is um, clearly marketing technology. So the, the, the MarTech stack, and we can perhaps get more into that. Um, audience management and everything that surrounds that. Data, mm. data governance and yeah. um, enhancement and uh, some of the sort of strategy aspects of addressable market and, and so on. Um, process in terms of 
um, the the sort of I, I, I like to talk about capture to close, although technically mm-hmm. the, the close bit is is really downstream from marketing operations. So it's kind of yeah. it's kind of capture to handover. It's not quite yeah. such a nice alliteration, but um, that 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 whole process, um, and then um, the the analytics and, and insight. Um, so in in terms of in terms of positions, you know, the the, the teams that I've put together, the, there's always a, a martech specialist. There's a what mm-hmm. I call audiences and insights analyst, um, and yeah. then you know, with with the luxury of, of additional headcount, you know, I might have a, a web specialist, um, possibly a business analyst to, to be looking at process, maybe a project manager, um, and um, th- those would be the key roles that, that I would look to to put into an actual team and, and an org chart. Yeah, and is that what? And is that what you've seen too, Jeff? With with that, I was going to say Simon built a big team right off the bat. There, it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure what, <laughs> I, got, like, what I got signed off. You, yeah, you've got two <laughs> hires. Okay, I'll give you a list of six. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that, hey, that's always how you do it. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and, and 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 so you know what what um, uh, what we saw when we were doing like maturity analysis of, of marketing teams and their marketing ops function is that it, it's it's very. Uh, usually started with tech, somebody managing technology and somebody managing yeah. data and or reporting or both. And it's, yeah. and it's like, and, and Simon, you, you, you know, just you experienced this in you know, your recent, um, you know, positions is where it's like, okay, I, I've got two people to hire and, and, and there's these things that, that, you know, just are, require people who, who have some really good detailed skill an ability to be admins, an ability to be able to work with data, and to be able to pull reports and and understand how these things work together, and and it gets into a lot of nitty gritty that you that the head of marketing operations or nobody else <laughs> in the marketing team wants to handle. Right. So those become the typical starting point, and then as you as as the as marketing scales up and as the uh, you know company scales up, then you'd see okay now I can add somebody who's a you know good project manager or maybe gets involved in the planning process. Mm-hmm. Then I can have somebody who's uh, who you know could work with some of the other teams on processes improvements and understanding you know like that that kind of you know lead to close process I mentioned you know somebody who can like you know look through that and see you know where are the gaps how can we improve things whether it's technology handoffs people skill. So those, you know, as you get more and more um, sophisticated, then you start adding those other roles. And, uh, and certainly when you get into these large organizations that some of which, you know, I've consulted with serious decisions and, you know, you get a, you know, an IBM or an SAP, you got a whole team that just does Mm. nothing but data and and analytics and you get a whole team that does nothing but, but technology governance. So, yeah. Well, um, even in my most recent team, which was, which was just two people, you know, I defined, uh, as I say, what I like to call audiences and insights. And I I use that term or or expression because it describes the output rather than the input. Um, Effectively, it, it is a fancy way of saying data and analytics, but um, like I say, it's meant to convey what what comes out of that. But in all honesty, the the audiences and insights role was completely overwhelmed, um, and and mm. really um, the person I had in that position was was pretty much focused on 
uh, on the analytics and and we just did our best on the audience's side and that's no reflection of her um it's just literally how much work there is to do on the analytics side and and just how yeah. big a job uh, the audiences is so you know if i'd have had a third headcount or or you know i got another headcount mm-hmm. um i would have certainly mm-hmm. split that role out so that you can have someone focused just on um that that aspect of who have we got across our prospects and customers what do we know about them what's missing what else do we need the data hygiene that that obviously is just a a table stake um and and getting in into some of the strategy and and this is where it you know it's important that that mop starts pushing of you know addressable market and um uh customer profiles ideal customer profiles and and those kinds of things um that can can often just not get defined and then everybody thinks they know who we're targeting but it turns yeah. out that either we don't or it's not agreed or consistent um and uh, there's a there's a role to be played there yeah so i'm getting a sense that when you first form your marketing ops team aside from the skills you have as a head of marketing ops mm-hmm. or a head of marketing that you're really looking at multi-skilled people initially to put a couple of folks together that perhaps can do a couple of these things. Or like you're saying, Simon, having to prioritize what somebody focuses on initially. And then as you can grow the team, you can get that, that bigger. Yeah. 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 And then, um, and then on the flip side, what guys have you seen that kind of gets thrown in the direction of marketing operations and really shouldn't be is, I mean, because it's sometimes a little bit of a catch all, isn't it? I mean, is there stuff that, that you've seen that really marketing ops shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can take that one first. <laughs> it's it's well, I mean, I think sometimes because um, marketing ops are, are you know the skills are there to deal with uh, you know sort of processes that are uh, internally focused, ongoing, creative services, events. Um, sometimes those you know those functions just get put under marketing ops and it could just be because the skill of the leader. Um, It could just be because people are kind of, you know, don't understand what marketing ops should be doing. And maybe some of these functions should be under other marketing leaders. Um, But I've certainly always taken the, the, the approach. And I think this was reinforced again when I was at Forrester and serious decisions is that marketing ops shouldn't, shouldn't be owning a lot of these processes. It should, we really primarily are the, the internal consultant, the analyst, somebody else has got to own it because they typically somebody else owns the the product, the output, the outcome. And so, you know, marketing ops can play an absolute role in improving, optimizing, supporting with technology, you know, understanding where data comes to support a process, but typically they don't own one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's your view, Simon? Have you seen that too? I mean, you've led these teams. So have you seen stuff come your way that, that was was probably better served if it was in another part of marketing? Yeah. Often you, you find um, tasks coming MOPS way or, or even whole, whole marketing operations teams that are defined in a way that I, I wouldn't look upon as being <laughs> real marketing operations. Um, you know, I often see job job. Yeah, jobs advertised, for instance, for you know, heads of mops or uh, or what yeah. have you, and there'll be things in there that are clearly, you know, campaign execution, um, mm-hmm. digital marketing, and what I really mean by that is is digital media management, um, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, maybe aspects of of even of creative, 
Um, and, yeah. and those are the things that, and probably event management as well. I wouldn't really class yeah. it being marketing operations. Um, I really liked what Robert was saying in the, the bar last week, um, when, you could, <laughs> when you could hear him above all the noise of the marching bands. Um, where he, was, <laughs> he was talking about, you know, con- content creation is is content, uh-huh. you know, and certainly yeah. again in my last role, that that was the uh, the purview of Marcoms, and we had a um, uh, a content specialist whose job it was mm-hmm. to do that. And, and while I saw Mop's role as being process around that and enablement, mm-hmm. we didn't have very sophisticated, we didn't have a digital asset management system, for right. instance, but were were there one or were there a need for one, um, you know, mm-hmm. that would be MOPS. But the content creation itself, that's that's yeah. not MOPS. Um, so yeah. th- those are certainly some of the things that, that I would see. Um, I, I get the, I get the sense that anything that needs some organization, people think they see the word operations and think, well, those guys seem to be well organized. Let's mm. get them to do events. <laughs> well, and, you know, right. and, and, and frankly, it's like a lot of times it's just like the CMO might say, you know, who on my yeah. staff can do this? <clears throat> yeah. And so rather than taking a purely functional view and saying, well, you know, mm. let's say, you know, the person who runs uh, Marcom and Creative um, should yeah. be the person that runs creative services, but they can't really manage manage mm. that so we'll give it over to the person that runs marketing ops yeah and that's yeah, not necessarily yeah. the right decision and it actually might be a short term i think that's yeah. just the, you don't it's, realize it's probably an interesting discussion to have about how you define those boundaries right because i think that applies to a lot of senior marketers isn't it is that is that you tend to be defined by what you're capable of doing and that sort of absolutely you know and when you're trying to build the ideal team or be part of the ideal team is where is it mm. that you say no and where is it that you yeah. say yes leaning yeah. into your skills yeah. even though it redefines your role or the other thing is was we've seen i've seen marketing organizations which get very much into um you know cross-functional team building and whether it's yeah. you know agile marketing or they've got some other some other yeah. model that they're trying to so they want to have make sure there's a creative person in every one of these teams and they want to make sure there's yeah. an ops for, then all of a sudden your functional view of, of things starts uh, starts breaking yeah. down mm. yeah, um, yeah. i mean i think it, it it's fair enough you know you often see marketing operations and demand gen in in the same team or in in the same head and that's fair enough in insofar as if, if you've got a, a smallish team or a growing team, you, you just might need to combine it. You, you might not have the, the, the headcount to be able to, to separate out the roles, just, just like I was saying with audiences and insights. Yeah. Um, and you, you may have an individual with you know, those skills or background and experience, and, that, and that's all fair enough. It's just that as, as you expand, you're, you're bound to need to specialize. Um, and then what yeah. becomes important is that the right things go in the right place. Otherwise, it, it just gets yeah. uh, really, really confusing. And um, I know I mentioned this last time I was on in uh, with regard mm. to superfluous marketing operations job titles um, like, you know, marketing operations and te- technology or marketing operations yeah. and, and, I don't know, process or something. Um, yeah. But And, I, and I, I did actually get around to writing the blog post I mentioned um, on, on that. Yeah. But the point is that th- those are all things that are already marketing operations. So you, you don't need mm-hmm. to say it. Whereas things like and demand gen or, you know, I've seen marketing operations and creative services. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. it doesn't really obviously go together, except that no. you know, there is a, a process production element. So if, if you need mm-hmm. to have one person in charge of it, then you, you, can, yeah. you can sort of see the synergy. Yeah. Now, I mean, that idea of marketing operations and technology is, um, 
it's just mm. like what we do as marketers, isn't it, with yeah. our titles? Yeah. It's like yeah. the, the, only, the only upside of marketing operations and technology is it creates another cute acronym of MOAT. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> after that, all it's not going for it. Mots and notes. <laughs> all right. So we're in this theoretical scenario of building our marketing team from scratch. And we ha- and you guys were just talking about justifying headcount. We have to justify budget and all that kind of oh. stuff. And I like, Simon, as I said, and we're both of you, we're talking about aligning this marketing operations team with the goals of the C-suite. And if you listen to the show, you know that I bang on about mm. our awareness, revenue, and trust, that I think that's the role of marketing where do you start with this justification to the CEO and CFO that you need this marketing ops team and you'll need these six people and not just you know, right. one? <laughs> well, obviously, MOPS is going to play a, a role in awareness and revenue. However, yeah. it's not a direct one. Um, clearly, right. particularly in my, my pure play view, um, you know, mops are not are not driving or, or running campaigns, not not creating content or or, or artwork yeah. and so on, uh, and and not even like I say, b- booking digital media and, and what have you. Um, so yeah. similarly, the the revenue that comes out of that is not you know directly attributable to mops. So yeah. I think um, trust is 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 the role that mops has to play in in that art mnemonic. And what that means is a CMO being able to trust that marketing is going to work and execute and fire and be measurable mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that the whole thing is going to come together and and work as an overall team. Um, and and more widely, you know, the, the, the C-suite can trust the CMO that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm because marketing operations will make sure that the machine is going to run and, and execute um, to, yeah. to get the job done. Yeah, I love how you flip the, the word trust there to be about trusting that we were going to deliver as a marketing team. Sure. And the fact also that you, you called it a mnemonic, which is a fancy word for me, so I, I'm going to stick with that. And Jeff, um, is that something you've seen as well, where yeah. you've worked with clients and they've they've tried to justify marketing ops teams? It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, and, and um, you know, when um, as Simon was talking about it, it was reminded me of a quote or what uh, a former client of of mine had said on a webcast recently. It's uh, Mark McNabb, who runs marketing ops at Highland Software, and he said, "The future of marketing is to be better run." And so I think one of the things that when you're justifying, uh, you know, the you know, the additional headcount, it's like, so, you know, do you want us to run efficiently or do you want us to struggle to meet our goals? You know, do you want us to every marketing team to buy their own tool at will? Do you want to have some governance over that? You know, do you want us to collaborate with sales or do you want us to just kind of go our way? So these are all things that, that the people that are running the business understand. Mm-hmm. And, and they may say, well, I, I could have so-and-so do that. And then you'd say, well, you know, the skills we're trying to build internally to help us operate efficiently typically mm-hmm. stand in marketing ops, and and they ha- and to an extent they have to because they have to work across the marketing teams and and collaborate with the yeah. sales team, or collaborate with the services team or customer support. You know, and that's and that's where having a marketing ops well skilled is really uh, is really an asset to both marketing and to the company. Yeah, and I, and I, also you're driving at a point here where, I mean, I was going to talk to you guys about, I mean, for me, from marketing operations perspective, in my experience, a lot of it was marketing technology and data, and it was that inside data, Simon, you were referring to. But I also think that that other, the data about 
um, how well the marketing team are performing and what we're doing is really important. So yeah. there's that inside and inside out and outside in data element to that. Um, I don't know if one of you guys want to pick up on that. How, you know, that's an important element of MOPS, isn't it? Is that, to your point, Simon, about trust is about how can we build those dashboards and, and really make the team predictable? Is that yeah. true? I don't know which one of you wants yeah. to go first on that. Well, yeah, and, and that's the point really is that marketing operations is, is a blend of things. And so, you know, yeah. like we've said, I, I talk about um, technology, data and process, but that yeah. in a sense doesn't quite sum it up because it's it's a bit too split out. Uh, when you talk yeah. about data, data makes you think of just the database of customers or prospects yeah. and, and so on. Yeah. But that doesn't really speak to the analytics or the insights, mm. which obviously mm -hmm. derive from data. But that doesn't just mm. happen because you've got data. You know, you mm. need somebody and you need the tools, which comes back to tech to do it. And mm. you need process, you know, who... Yeah. who you know, who creates reports, who asks for reports. If you need a new report, how does that happen? How does it get mm -hmm. you know, presented and where does the data come from and so on? So there's, a, there's just a combination of the elements, the ingredients that, that go into creating that. Yeah. And then similarly, I, I certainly, you know, when I talk about insight and, and when I create roles, really I'm talking about how did the campaign do? Um, and that, that can go from just simply how many leads do we create or convert um, what what was the the pipeline value you know it can go mm -hmm. upstream to campaign you know classic campaign metrics like opens and clicks or visits and likes you know, all mm -hmm. the way down through to um, you know closed one deals and all, and all the rest of it so yeah. that that's pretty easy to understand um, but there is also as, as you've alluded to in a marketing team performance element now this mm -hmm. gets into slightly more sensitive territory because what what you're going towards is how well is the actual marketing team doing you uh -huh. know maybe uh -huh. at an individual level or a team level you know how efficient uh, how efficiently are they operating um are they are they meeting their their objectives uh, and so on now clearly that needs to be done uh, or organizationally and within marketing and a, and a cmo needs to do that um, in, in my experience, you know, it, it's a line management function and, and that's yeah. what team leaders and managers are doing. But at the same time, again, as, as you kind of touched on in that, the, the, you know, at scale, there's a need for, for a CMO in particular to have some consistency behind that. And how yeah. is that being tracked and so on? Um, and that could be a role that MOPS plays as well. Um, in right. conjunction with uh, HR, of course, no doubt, and, and the, yeah. the corporate performance management systems and processes that are in place or not, yeah. and um, whatever else that the CMO wants to uh, wants to see. But um, there's certainly uh, elements. Yeah, that's interesting the turn this has taken because we were initially talking about data as in being, mm. like you say, the CRM and the insights and data analytics right. and all of that good stuff. Yeah. Then we're talking about the data in terms of the performance of individual campaigns and and the predictability of our mm. ability from a marketing perspective. But now you're sort yeah. of leaning into this idea that, or mentioning this idea that as an operations team working for the CMO, where does that role play in terms of the performance of the people, their job descriptions, yeah. the attributes of of of, of colleagues? That's that's mm. really interesting. And and Jeff, is that something you've seen as come into the marketing operations and more of a 
a kind of a being almost a HR within this within this within the marketing yeah, team. Yeah, there's uh, two things I want to add on to that, and and one is that certainly we saw that um, you know marketing operations could take their it was taking the role mm-hmm. in some organizations is kind of like the marketing enablement organization kind of like within yeah. sales you typically have a separate you might have a sales yeah. ops team and a sales enablement team or sometimes they're combined yeah. so you can see the same thing in yeah. in uh, in marketing and you know unfortunately i think you know because as we've talked about it in many times is that there's not a, mm-hmm. a lot of emphasis on enablement and bringing upskilling uh, people within the department uh, yeah. is that it's it's not as big a uh, it's not as big a factor or I should say not enough marketing ops teams are given that kind of responsibility even though right. a lot of times marketing ops has the information that is you know mm. is required to help understand what that is I mean it, certainly when yeah. um, when I used to do tech assessments for clients is that you know we didn't just look at the technology you know we would we would ask them about you know what they're trying to accomplish and then say, okay, what about the technology? What about the data? What about the process? What about the skills of the people who are operating yeah. these things? So if you yeah. finally yeah. got a digital team that's got great tools and they don't know how to use them, uh, then you've got a mismatch there and you could either get rid yeah. of the tools <laughs> or you could upskill the people. Yeah. And so I think that's, that is a, an ideal role for marketing ops. The, the other thing I wanted to jump on though, was that and there was a lot of hype. It'd been a lot of hype about being, you know, insight driven or being data driven. And yeah, and um, one of the people who actually came on at Forrester as, as I was leaving um, used to work at a company called Whole Foods. Uh, I don't know how many of you mm-hmm. know Whole Foods. It's in the you know mm-hmm. yeah. a big grocery chain in the states. Well, they were bought by Amazon, and so I asked her. I said, "So what? So what was it like? You know, was there a culture change when Amazon, yeah. you know, took took you over?" And they said, "Well, you know." Amazon's success is based on the fact they are incredibly data driven. It's like they do not mm-hmm. make a decision unless they can pull information out and and, and do mm-hmm. a real thorough analysis and say, okay, you know, we need to run these campaigns. We need to do this. We need to change this function. We need to get this technology. So everything was data driven, and that becomes a mindset. And that's and and that really is one of the things that you know I guess continue to allow Whole Foods to grow and create and uh, you know mm-hmm. creating new revenue. And I think that's that's something that too often we let marketers, you know, work with their guts, <laughs> you know, their gut yeah, feeling, yeah. or they, yeah. uh, what you know, what we did at the last company or whatever, and, and yeah. so little is 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 actually based on, you know, getting the data you need to make a good decision, mm-hmm. and so getting that data is going to be a marketing yeah. ops role. Getting some analysis on that data is going to be a marketing yeah. ops role. I mean, if you're not creating your own analytics team separate from marketing ops, which I've certainly seen, it typically yeah. would reside within marketing ops. Yeah, no, I, that's, I mean, this is, this is really good. So what we're hearing really is that marketing office, and I think I mentioned it already, is the kind of discipline and operations within the marketing team. And part of that is that culture of being data-driven and where you're going to get your data from, you're going to get it from your marketing ops team and help drive, drive those processes. And we're now talking about a lot of different things that marketing ops needs to be skilled with. But if we look at the marketing ops leader, the head of marketing operations. What, what do we think are the sort of attributes one needs to be a good leader at, mar- at marketing operations? I mean, Simon, there you've talked about tech. You've both talked about data. You've talked now. We're talking about people. You know, what are what are the attributes that you need to to lead? Well, obviously, I'm I'm bound to say a marketing operations leader has you know boyish good looks, a certain poise, and a witty turn of phrase. <laughs> None of those things are needed. Okay. As I, as I look at the screen, I say, "Where's glasses?" 
uh, yeah. no, no. What a, what, a, what a shame we're not doing video. <laughs> I mean, if I had a British accent, I think I probably could have made 20 grand more a year, but you know. <laughs> hey, I, I put these highlights in my hair just to, uh, just to add a couple of hundred quid to the day, right? Yeah. Um, no, the market operations leadership um, requires being able to span all of those those disciplines and functions that we've mm. we've spoken about. And you know, you you often get the question, "What makes a good marketing operations person?" And I always say to that, "Well, there's almost no such thing because, as yeah. we've discussed, um, it, it's really specialisms." Now, of course, mm -hmm. in, in a smaller team, you you might have an individual contributor who is across all of those elements. Yeah. And frankly, that's a tough gig. Um, but at, at the leadership level, you, you're kind of back to being across um, all of those elements, mm -hmm. albeit, of course, you've got the specialists who are really, you know, deep dive. So certainly in my last team, you know, I had a, a marketing technology specialist um, who was an expert in, say, Pardot, um, and he knew more than I did for, for sure. And I had an analyst um, who um, was was you know, more adept at that work, probably, um, and, and knew Power BI or even how to, to wrangle you know Python queries and these kinds of things. Um, mm -hmm. But the the thing that the the, the head of the team brings, I, I think, is first of all defining the team and and, and the vision yeah. and, and where that's going. Um, you know, when when I I was. I came into that role and I was told you've got two heads, you know, do, do what you like. Um, and yeah. the, they were given to me as two, two roles. And I said, I'm, I'm going to change these roles and, and, you know, took yeah. them in a different direction. Um, but then it's being able to understand what those people are doing, have, have a conversation with them, understand the problems they're facing and, and obviously be able right. to work with them and, and, and help and guide. Um, and, and so those are the things that uh, that certainly a, a MOPS leader needs. But, you know, beyond that, it's it's things like stakeholder management, because, again, mm -hmm. as, as we've discussed, um, building the relationships across the rest of the business, particularly mm -hmm. IT and sales, sales ops, um, yeah. finance, um, those kinds of things. Um, and and being, you know, methodical, process orientated, yeah. analytical, technical, um, th those those all, all those qualities um uh, are needed uh, to to be able to, to to lead that function uh i think yes yeah, it's, it's quite a significant list isn't it and i think the well, a, main thing there is that yeah yeah <laughs> but and was uh, well i was asking ask you jeff i mean from that is there anything that you can yeah. see the gaps or what, what's been your experience no i i mean i i, I would echo that i i think um you know business acumen I mean, uh, you know, Simon talked about the ability to work with other stakeholders. So being able to work with executive stakeholders and being yeah. and having the business acumen because you're, you know, whether you're trying to build a business case for a new piece of technology or you're, you know, yeah. you're in charge of some new big initiative, you got to understand the overall business impact and not just look at it from a marketing perspective. Um, yeah. You know, that process orientation, you know, because I, and you know, unfortunately or fortunately, I worked for a couple of companies where our technology was very process oriented, but that helped me understand. It's like if I'm trying to solve a lead problem or whatever it is, yeah. it's like I got to go through the steps, you know, build a little mm -hmm. Visio diagram or PowerPoint and understand, you know, what all yeah. is happening. And uh, and then you get an appreciation for how things touch all the various people in marketing and sales mm -hmm. and, and what you need to do to improve it. Um, I think having you know, really good project management skills is necessary, whether whether you're as the leader, whether you're the person running the project or whether you've got somebody else who's running the project, you just have yeah. to know what it's like to run uh, big initiatives 
And, um, you know, and I think objectivity is another key attribute. You've yeah. got to be able to step back and, uh, and yeah. not let your own, you know, proclivities get in the way of making the right yeah. decision. Yeah. And I was going to talk to you guys about, I mean, we're getting up, we're getting, getting a look, trotting through the time. Moment. I was going to ask you guys about technology from marketing ops perspective. I mean, you both touched on the fact that tech is a big part of marketing operations and probably what most people perceive to be the lion's share of marketing operations, right? Even though there's those important other roles that we need to place. I see that objectivity really in marketing operations, right? Because you, because marketing operations will help marketers follow a process based on requirements rather than just buying yeah. the shiny thing that they see. Yeah. Would mm. you agree with that? Is that is that the kind of role you see marketing ops playing in tech? I'll, I'll jump in. I'd say absolutely because because <laughs> I've been, I mean, I've been on the marketing liaison on an IT yeah. steering committees. I've run steering committee, yeah. IT steering committees. I've consulted with people trying to build IT steering and, and it's like yeah. it, it objectivity is necessary and um, uh, and being able to talk to people and understand their need. This is almost like, you know, being a real marketer. You got to talk to your customer, your internal customer, understand their needs. What are they trying to accomplish? And as I look across everyone else who's a stakeholder, now I can kind of get an objective opinion about how do we solve a problem yeah. Uh, how do we buy a piece of technology that serves all of the interests at least as best as possible? Yeah, and Simon, would you agree with that? I mean, I think that um, because so much of marketing technology now is bought without IT, isn't it? Is, mm. it, is, it, is it now beholden on marketing operations almost to become the IT guy, you know? Yeah, so I, I, I um, try and, and keep away from the marketing operations as marketing yeah. IT department. And yes. I, I'd... I'd push back uh, also a little bit on the, um, you know, MarTech is the lion's share of marketing operations. Yeah. If there's one thing that I would I would want anyone to take away from this conversation, it's that marketing operations is not marketing technology. That is to say, Absolutely. not just marketing technology. Um, yeah. But that said, certainly in any significant and, and really, frankly, any MarTech consideration, I would want to see MOPS involved, and and you know I've yeah. been frustrated in the past where um, you you see people going off and and, and getting mm -hmm. solutions without reference to, to yeah. MOPS, um, and yeah. we might touch back on that. But um, the, the the point is that in in terms of you know due consideration and due diligence, reviewing solutions um, and determining how they'll fit with the rest of the stack integration yeah. being just so critical to, to, to any kind of tech and, yeah. and MarTech, um, then, you know, mar marketing operations not only has a, a contribution to make, um, but, but also just, you, you know, um, experience doing it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I, I would, you know, encourage any, yeah. any other marketing functional head to engage with with mops in that regard rather than try and go around them or or just omit mm. to uh, to include them cool all right and yeah, then yeah. um one last thing you know we, we're dispelling the myth that marketing ops is just marketing tech but there was one other thing that i think we've we've raised jeff and we've raised it in reference to you simon and when i was on your podcast we talked about it too mm. Uh, which we need to promote to the, the marketing, <laughs> your, your <laughs> podcast, um, which we'll talk about in a sec. Um, but this idea about marketing ops being chief of staff, because you guys are touching on a lot of things there. And I think sometimes the CMO leans a little bit on the head of marketing ops as their chief of staff. What's your view on that right now? Well, so, 
Sure. So, I mean, I, I I picked up on this when you guys were talking about it last time, and yeah, uh, and, yeah. and I did put a couple of comments on on LinkedIn, in fact. Um, yes. And um, in, in actual fact, you, as, as you're kind enough to mention uh, the podcast that I co-host yeah. um, in, uh, we had uh, Scott Vaughan on um, a little while ago, mm-hmm. who's uh, kind of a CMO at large. Um, you, you guys may have uh, may may know him, and uh, we we got onto that topic, and he he expressed it quite nicely, actually, which is that. Um, the, the 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 chief of staff um, has a view, or, or the head of marketing operations has a view of all elements um, across marketing, and and for me that's where the chief of staff title is applicable, even though yeah. in overall terms I I find it a, a bit uncomfortable to be considered in that yeah. in that way. Certainly, right. I wouldn't see a marketing leadership team reporting into the head of marketing operations. Um, so right. it's it's much more of a coordinating role um, and, and that notion of um, just from the vantage point that you have, working with everybody and looking across um, the, the entire function. Um, in actual fact, this, this struck me. Um, I was thinking about the movie, um, I think it was um, uh, not Hunt for Red October, um, Crimson Tide. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a character in that that submarine movie in particular um, called uh, the Chief of the Boat or Cobb, mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> um, they're a they're a kind of um, you know they're not the they're not the captain they're not the executive officer no. but they're the guy that just makes sure that the boat is running smoothly and everything is right. operating and, and functioning um, and it's almost a bit more like that you know the head of marketing yeah. operations is is the, um, the the chief of the boat. Um, I love that. Right, making sure that it's um, it's it's sailing smoothly or whatever a yeah. submarine should do. All right, I uh, love that. And Jeff, I'm going to have to interrupt because we promised people we we're going to keep the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love that chief of the boat um, thing. I want I want to move on to my last question. And um, and Jeff, if you have any comments, we can do them next week. Okay. <laughs> I've been cut off. You get your right to So my last question, you know, as both of you know, as you've been guests on the show too, is always what would you like to chuck into the Rockstar CMO? Swim pool, our port to marketing health are the overhyped trends, BS and snake oil from this marketing industry you love. But you've both been on the show before and we've had your go. But I want to focus on I keep saying but let's focus on the theme marketing operations. What would you chuck into our Rockstar CMO swimming pool about marketing operations? Jeff. I think I think I think if you want to save time, you should shorten that question. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> well, my first answer was gonna be Simon just out of good fun, you know, did the cocktail hour. You just like <laughs> chuck him into the pool for for old time's yeah. sake. I, um and, and you know, I don't I, I, sh- I should go back through all my old notes to see what I checked in before, but I, um, uh, one that, that I think some of your other guests and I continue to come back to is the idea of leads. Um, yeah. cause leads are just interactions, their engagement, they're part of a, yeah. they're part of a whole process and we need to be thinking more broadly uh, about our tracking of the customer journey than just yeah. a lead yeah. to close process. Which has a connection marketing operation because often you've got the dashboard and you're the ones that have to report the MQLs mm. and really we want opportunities. Simon, what would you chuck in? Um, yeah, I think just touching back on, on what I was saying, I guess, yeah. I, I think what I would 
throw in, and I, I don't know, maybe this sounds a bit plaintive, but I would, I would chuck in going around marketing operations. So you know, <laughs> whether yeah. it's Martech acquisition or you know, even, yeah, even um, talking about leads and, and lead process and so on, um, yeah. ab- absolutely, you know, Mops should be involved in that and, and have a lot to offer and contribute. Yeah. So um, I, I would, I would chuck into the pool. Um, going around mops rather than involving them. I, I think well, that, that every marketing team, every marketing department should have a pool. And so then if somebody goes around, marketing <laughs> up, you just get down. pushed in it. That's a bit harsh since it is our gateway to hell. It's but anyway. not harsh enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Simon, as you're our guest and you, you're, you're on with Jeff and I've, I've cut Jeff off. Um, you, can I give you the honour of choosing this week's track? What are we going to go with? Um, yes, well, uh, Jeff, having picked the the absolute best track previously, um, I, I did come across um, a, a number called Operation Blade by Public uh-huh. Domain from 2000, which I think uh-huh. will be uh, a suitably upbeat number on which to uh, play out. Splendid. I shall play on, out on that. And well done for picking something from this century. And... <laughs> Uh, although I'm completely unfamiliar most, with that track. Most unlike and, me. You know, next week and, I'm going to pick something from the 13th century. Just mm-hmm. so. <laughs> yeah, some sort of Gregorian chant. I've made the joke before this show will be out on eight tracks soon. But anyway, so Simon, <laughs> <laughs> I think Jeff, everybody knows where they're going to find you. Simon, when we, when the listener spins the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Well, I'd be delighted to connect with anybody on LinkedIn, of course. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, where I am, Marketing Operations Guy, and I tweet um, anything that I find interesting on the topic, uh, thought curation, as I like to call it. And as we've touched on, if I may be so bold as to plug my own uh, podcast, What's Mops Got to Do With It? You can check that out at whatsmops.com, where we have chats with marketing operations and marketing operations leaders um around the topic and as i said when you came on it in um any similarity between that podcast and yours is entirely <laughs> well i was actually going to prompt you to to promote your your podcast so you're very welcome and i will of thank course you. include all the links to those things in the show notes thank you very much gentlemen we almost stuck to time so we're we've, we've done very well well done thank you very much and uh and jeff i'll speak to you next week i presume yes and simon uh, I understand that uh, you're on to new endeavours. I'm probably not supposed to say that, but we look forward to following where you are and obviously watching your, listening to your podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Thanks Cheers. Cheers. Thank you, Jeff and Simon. And wow, we really are doing things differently this week with some techno there from Public Domain and Operation Blade from 2000. That really woke me up. And I will include all of Jeff and Simon's links in the show notes. And if you have any feedback or suggestions, we'd love to hear them. You can find us on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO just about everywhere. Or drop us an email at hello at rockstarcmo.com. Right. 
It's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the content advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. Uh, it's uh, it's been a long week, I think. Yes, and so it's it's uh, it's good that we're here now. I don't know. I, I know that Mother's Day is uh, happened in the UK a couple of yes. a month ago. Yes, something like that. Um. Yes. I want to say yeah. yes. Certainly <laughs> well, not. the fact certainly that that answer not. isn't readily at your fingertips <laughs> tells me all I need to know about where you sit right now. Um, you just, I just have felt that cold chill of panic when you said Mother's Day. And I'm like, that's not this weekend, is it? <laughs> that's, well, it is for here in the States. Uh, okay. It, yeah, Mother's Day is this weekend here in the States. And so I have a special celebration uh, for all of uh, for all of the mothers out there, in terms of the kind yes. of cocktail we'll be drinking, um, because I did want to celebrate in it, and it was my my mother's uh, favorite uh, cocktail, and so Ooh. it's a classic champagne cocktail, um, which is you know it's it's a it you know it's 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 an acquired taste. You have to like champagne first of all, which I know a <laughs> lot of people don't. don't, and neither did I, you. I, well, I, I, <laughs> I prefer a Prosecco, actually, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to a champagne, but um, we're going to go with champagne for this classic cool. champagne cocktail. And uh-huh. uh, the, the classic champagne cocktail that we'll be making here is, um, is, is one that's really easy to make, um, as you might expect. Uh, and so <laughs> <laughs> it's really just uh, champagne. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you like... Um, you and you can add a little bit of uh, of, 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 of cognac or brandy Ooh. to it, uh-huh. um, and then what I love to do because my mother used to love this, um, you put a sugar cube, drop it into the champagne flute once you've made your little cocktail there, and it just creates mm-hmm. a shower of bubbles. It it really really creates oh, wow. a lovely lovely looking. So we'll we'll do that in celebration of my mom and your mom and all the moms out there for Mother's Day. And um, and that's our champagne cocktail. So that's what we're drinking. Today. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll attempt to make it using the ingredients of my desktop bar. And um, I shall then proceed to... Um, fail at that, yes. Yeah, fail and, and not honor anybody's mother or any of that sort of stuff. Although, I've got to tell you that, well, a couple of things. One is when in my youth, that used to be, there used to be something called a baby sham in the little bottles. And there used to be that the... the, the, the the, the, a popular drink was brandy and baby sham, mostly among the ladies rather than the gentlemen. Um, so that's a, that's right. a drink I've, I've come across. And in England, uh, gin is often referred to as mother's ruin. So, <laughs> so okay, there you so, go. So, that, so, so this is probably an inappropriate drink for a this perfect, very a perfect for Mother's Day, I suspect. Yes, <laughs> yes. Some, some, oh, I forgot. I'm going to put some ice in that. I know you didn't put ice in that, but let's imagine that's a sugar cube. <laughs> That I should have put in afterwards. Bit of this gin, and uh, and um, I I'm not going to go with um, I'm not going to go with champagne. 
but basically because I know you don't like it, right? So I'm going to go with um, some nice fever tree cucumber tonic water. Ah, well, it does have bubbles. Hmm. There you go. Exactly. You see, I'm in the spirit of this. Yeah, there I'm you are. Go- I-, I-, I love my mother just as much as anybody else. Or something. <laughs> Let's give Could it you get that on the record? Mm. Oh, that's delicious. There that's you go. Delicious. Yes. Well, happy Mother's Day to all the American mothers. And fortunately, not the British ones. Otherwise, I'd be in a whole heap of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> right. I believe it was while I was in London. I believe that uh, Mother's Day was the... I believe I landed on the Sunday that is Mother's Day there. Yes. Which was a couple well, of Well, I weeks definitely ago. got it right and did it and everything. What with me having two children. And so, therefore, I... To celebrate, you depend my wife on them. Yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> and I depend on them. <laughs> yeah, to, to remember <laughs> such things. <laughs> <laughs> they remind me of many things. You're quite right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're celebrating our mothers, Robert, uh, and uh, let's keep it classy. Where are we going to go with this? Well, I thought we would go to two places. I thought we would go mm-hmm. to uh, where your mom lives and, or lived, and, and where my mom lived. Um, and mm-hmm. so, uh, for me, that is, uh, Dallas, Texas, where, which is where I grew right. up and my mom lived yes. for most of her, uh, life. Um, and, uh, uh, so, uh, and, and where did your mother live? Well, my, my, well, my mother was born in London, uh, but she can't, and she's lived, uh, in Spain and Wales and all sorts of places that so we could probably choose somewhere like that, but she currently lives in Norfolk in a rather nice part of the world here. Um, ah, so lovely. It, it's it, it's quite lovely over there. It's terrible to get to because they don't actually have any roads, but it's <laughs> it's a, it's a lovely part of the world. So I'm very flat, but yes. Okay. So my, well, my, there you go. My, well, so is so is Dallas. So we'll so we'll 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 we'll, <laughs> we'll stare out at the horizon uh, in 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 Norfolk and 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 in uh, uh, and in Dallas, and we'll stare out at the horizon uh-huh. and drink our champagne cocktails. Yes. And the interesting thing is, is because I know you don't mind a bit of the British weather. Um, you'd probably prefer to be in Norfolk than Dallas. And probably based on the weather, I'd probably prefer to be in Dallas. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, there is a reason that I left Dallas uh, and weather is, is top of that list. Um, you know, it is yeah, it is hot uh, and and humid and all of the things so that oh. I hate. Yeah. So our um, our mothers have had a couple of these and have probably decided to retire for the evening. <laughs> I uh, see. And we, yes. And we we proceed to talk all things uh, marketing. What's our thought for the week as we as we stare Well, I thought I would I mean, I thought I would address, you know, this week um you know, the fallout as it were uh, mm-hmm. from our friend Elon Musk and uh his uh bid to purchase the Twitter. Uh Oh yes. Because I think it's a great lesson for us in, you know, it's yet another reason, you know, we've talked on this show and we've talked on my show on why, you know, all the reasons not to build your house on rented Mm -hmm. land. Um, But it seems like it's an appropriate uh, time to talk about it again, because one of the things that I think is being overlooked is exactly that. um, Which, you know, I mean, unless you've been under a rock, of course, you've heard. (laughs) 
about yeah. Elon's bid and accepted bid at this point. Um, although mm-hmm. it's got you know quite a few more hoops to jump through before it actually really goes through, um, but for all intents and purposes at this point, Elon Musk has purchased uh, Twitter. And mm-hmm. uh, the interesting thing is, is to me, is that it's a great rented land lesson because he obviously learned it. You know, he is a lover of the product, a user of the product and realized that he didn't have any control over it. So quite literally, he was like us, a tenant um, with a with a landlord on Twitter. And he's decided that he's going to buy the land that he sits on. So he bought Mm. he literally bought the land that he was that he was that he was renting. And it reminds me very much of, you know, there's a there's an old I don't know if this was as popular in the UK as it was here, but the Remington Shaver back in the yes. 1970s, um, Victor yeah. Kayam, of course, was the CEO yeah. who very famously on the TV commercials and ad campaigns said, you know, I love the company so much I bought it, um, yeah. which was interesting because what people don't realize was that was one of the first leveraged buyouts um, of companies like that. And mm-hmm. what Victor Kayam did back in the day was to actually turn Remington Microscreen Shavers into from a $30 million loss, which, you know, in 1979 is real money. Good um, Lord. Yeah. And, and turned it into profitability within one year. And wow. so we'll see if Elon can do the same thing uh, with mm-hmm. Twitter. But the interesting thing to me is when we start thinking about rented land, um, a lot of interesting challenges come up. And the clarification that we always need to make is that it's don't build your home and put home in italics if you Mm. need to. Don't build your home on rented land. It doesn't mean to build, you know, you shouldn't build an outpost or you shouldn't build, uh, you know, something on rented land. But if you build your home on rented land, you really lose a lot of the control that you have. And what does rented land mean? Well, it means anything where you don't have access to your audiences. In other words, you the the platform that you sit on, your landlord determines when and where you communicate and or can communicate to your audience. And two, in many cases, it's also your content. If you don't have access to your content in any meaningful way other than being able to publish up. And ostensibly, you need to ask yourself are when you're using a platform are you building their audience or are you building your audience? And yep. if the answer to the question is you don't have access to the audience or you don't have access to the content, inevitably you're building their audience, not yours. And so that again, doesn't mean that you want to not use it. It just means you need to be circumspect about using it. Yep. And I always use the, there's a, there's a wonderful uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson quote because of course you need to bring emerson to the table since we're drinking champagne cocktails and (laughs) the the what he wrote was you know in a tavern everybody puts on airs except the landlord basically Mm. meaning nobody is themselves in the public square unless you own the place right you know so you always sort of put on airs and i think we can adapt that quote to twitter now and other rented platforms and it says nobody you know gets free speech except the landlord and, yeah. and so it's that idea, uh, although I don't know what Elon really wants to talk about that he can't talk about, 
Um, there's a great, wonderful meme going around um, that talks about all the things that, you know, could be out there that, you know, you go, really, yeah. is that what we want in free speech? <laughs> but in any event, it's all around this idea of what you can control and what you can't control. And I think it's just a yeah. great lesson to us as marketers that there is a lot to this idea of rented land and where we need to be really mm. just, you know, considered about where we do our building. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, um, I think, and it, you, you guys have talked about it a lot on your podcast, this old marketing, um, and, uh, you know, what Trump tried to do, which was to create his own, <laughs> his own, his own land, which has not gone terribly well so far as it truth social. So, and, and the, and the other point I think you, I think you made this on your show is per follower, the purchase isn't doesn't look so bad, does it? If you look at how many followers he's got. You, well, yeah, right. I mean, it. You know, Joe made that point, which I think is an yeah. interesting one. Which is, if on a per subscriber basis, if you were to look at them as subscribers, yeah, then it doesn't look that bad as an acquisition. And the interesting thing yeah. is, for Elon, that math works, right? Because he's actually yeah. buying the platform. It becomes an owned media platform for him. Yeah. However, yeah. for the rest of us plebeians, <laughs> um, it does not look that great because you're not you know you're basically spending a lot of money for access to an audience that twitter decides who you speak to and who you don't and you know with yeah. organic reach being in the single digit percentage points you know it's yeah. very hard to justify that on on any regular basis having said that yeah. i would spend money i would spend money on twitter mm -hmm. i would spend money to turn it into a subscription service to have access to the audience that i've built up over the last yeah. you know uh, 12 years so yeah I, I think it's a really interesting well, that, yeah yeah well that's the frustrating thing isn't it because i mean we've been around for a while on these platforms and there's certainly a noticeable difference in terms of organic reach even if you've got loads of followers the or the algorithm chooses who's going to see it right so you, you don't always reach the audience that you've cultivated um and that's that's the frustration yeah, that's right. And how many of yeah. them are bots and how many of them are automated yeah. things and how many of them yeah. are paying attention and how many of them are just following to, you know, yeah. to, to follow. And, and, yeah. you know, a lot of that would be, you know, the interesting thing is, is that a lot of that would be uh, mitigated if they did turn it into a subscription service where, mm -hmm. you know, they really paid attention to identity yeah you know i mean if yeah. you had to go through the same level of identity that you yeah. do even with linkedin right i mean the amount of identity yeah. management that happens in linkedin is much higher than it is in yeah. twitter and so it's you know you can argue that the you know on linkedin it's much easier to see who's yeah. who and who's what than yeah. it is on twitter and so thus it make does it make it a more valuable platform i think it does in many ways yeah um and so it and, makes it nicer. Yeah. And, and Twitter has yeah. struggled since the get go to really figure out how to monetize yeah. things. Yeah. You know, it was always not how many is using Twitter. It's a, it was always who is using Twitter um, yeah. that made the con that made the network valuable to me. And this goes back to discussions we've had about clubhouse and that we've had about yep. other social media networks as they've emerged. Yeah. The value of Twitter is really in the who. And so mm -hmm. being part of that quote unquote club is what makes yeah. it valuable. So thus a subscription based service seems to make the mm -hmm. most sense um, from a, you know, because it's not about the, it, it is about how you use it with a finite number of yeah. 
uh, audiences, members, or or friends, or you know, colleagues, yeah. whatever you want to, however you want to build your audience. So it becomes yeah. a very focused thing. Now we'll see if Elon can actually do anything that starts to change the the course of of where mm. uh, of where of where Twitter is going because to date no one else has been able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, even if it was just a buck or a couple of bucks, you'd, you'd get rid of uh, a lot of the crap, wouldn't you? So, and it, it's it's interesting because um, uh, I, I listened a lot to Seth Godin, and he talks about when in the in the in the before times, <laughs> before all this social media, he made a suggestion. I think when he was at Yo-Yo Dine or AOL or somewhere, that um, they should just charge a, a buck to send an email, and if they did that, you'd get rid of all this all this all this um, spam. spam. Uh, even even at that point in the emails evolution, so it's interesting to be going back to that conversation. Yeah, it's you know it's <laughs> it's it, it's you know I think the the when the net of all of this shakes out, right? It you mm-hmm. know it, I think we're in for I mean you know we're feeling it now with you know where the stock mm-hmm. market is and where the economy is yeah. and where. Uh, we're all feeling in sort of the new ways that we're communicating with audiences. And there's so much going on in the way that marketing communications, social media, our use of social media is changing. Um, You know, not not least of which is, you know, when we look at Facebook or any of the social media platforms and how, I mean, you know, you have to think right now, Mark Zuckerberg's going, Thank God the conversation is not about me right now, you know. And, and, you know? <laughs> and you know, but it's but you know, when you think about that, it 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 really is. At some point, does Twitter sort of run its course, right? I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. got to be the biggest risk on everybody's mind, which is, is it still relevant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's interesting. I think I think its relevance is probably. Um, the reaction people have had, I think, suggests its relevance. Do you know what I mean? So many people have kind of passionately come out one way or another about how they feel about this, which means that people feel something about it. Does that make sense? So I think the people that are passionate that Twitter remains as it is, is it indicates it's relevant to them. I, You know, and, and it's funny that I've heard others talk about that, right? Yeah. Um, these are people I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's passionate <laughs> about Twitter. I've definitely met people who are passionate about Facebook. I definitely right. met people who are passionate about uh, YouTube. I have yeah. definitely met people who are passionate about LinkedIn. I've yeah. never met anybody passionate about Twitter. You know, right. usually it's yeah, it's cool. It's yeah, I you know, yeah. it's uh, it's yeah. neat. It's I, I like yeah, it. Yeah. You know, it's. Yeah. Or uh, I can't stand it. I can't. I, I I can't be bothered with it. Right? It's not. Yeah. There's not a lot of. You know, it's either middle ground or I have no use for yeah. it. I have not yeah. met a lot of people, if any, that have said, "Oh my gosh, I couldn't live without Twitter." You know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen yeah, some that's people true. online. You know, like our former president, yeah. who seems to be yeah. pretty passionate about the platform, and Elon seems to be pretty passionate about the platform. But uh, yeah. you know, I, I I have not met these people. <laughs> well, I must admit, um, I don't think I've met the people that I've seen talking about this, but I have seen a fair amount of stream on Twitter, which which I just think if people feel that strongly about it, then there's some life in this thing. But uh, that was my only observation to your point about whether it remains relevant or not. And and, yeah. and clearly, like 
we're a fickle bunch, right? So if if um, there's always something else coming along that we'll that we'll switch to if if it doesn't work out for us. So I'm yeah, sure I mean, well, and you have to figure like all these, you know, yeah. competitors that are trying to yeah. uh, really disrupt the whole you know Twitter yeah. universe, right? You know, Truth Social, yeah. like you mentioned, and you know, yeah. Getter, and all those kinds of you know the more right wing yeah. sort of platforms that have launched and and not done very well this has to be really bad news for them right i mean because <laughs> yeah it's like well you know if 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 quote unquote free speech is really coming to twitter then they're like well why would i even bother going to <laughs> you know going to these free yeah. you know because that's their whole that's their whole pitch yeah, right absolutely you know, so it's like all right yeah. you just in one fell swoop killed all those platforms yeah which might be a good thing <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, culturally, it might be, a, a, a you know, but just looking at the pure black and white bottom line, you know, financial yeah. aspect, investment yeah, aspect of it. It's like if I'm yeah. if I was an investor in any of those sort of alternative platforms, I'd be going, yeah, this yeah. is not good news. This is not you uh, know, this is not good news for uh, user growth on any of these on any of these platforms. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's excellent. I mean, we've been talking about something topical, which never happens on this show, and I don't blame you for that. I blame myself. Um, I feel, I feel almost like Prof G in this whole conversation. <laughs> joining, <laughs> there you go, joining in on the Elon Musk. No, that, but I also think. I mean, deep down there, there's a great point about um, uh, building on rented land, and uh, you know, basically, Elon Musk has got the money to buy all of his followers. So that's excellent. And move on to not buy his followers, but. Uh, but make his 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 place his own. So that's that's cool. Yeah. And uh, so so where um, where might people find thoughts very much like this, written by you or your colleagues at uh, at uh, Content Advisory? Well, as as usual, you could find it there. Actually, you know. <laughs> I ruined my own question again. Yeah. <laughs> and when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, my friend? They're going to find me on Twitter. <laughs> no, they, they will indeed find me on Twitter, but uh, uh, LinkedIn is my preferred platform these days. I'm, I've been enjoying that very much. And, and so would like yes. to connect with anyone and everyone there. Yeah, actually replied to something of yours today. But yes, all right, mate. And more importantly, the virtual bar, will we see you there next week? Of here. course you will. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much, mate. I'll see you next week. Cheers. Thank you, Robert. Getting topical there with a core lesson of building on rented land. So... That's a wrap on episode 113 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Martin podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Simon and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work and check out all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another Epic Marketing Podcast? Let us know on the socials or drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, as you heard, Jeff and Robert will be back and my guest will be Laurie Jones, CEO of Appleset Communications. Until then, have a great week and I hope you'll join us again here next Saturday on Rockstar CMO FM.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.